The question for today is, where are you? Where are you? A man in a hot air balloon realized he was lost. He reduced altitude and spotted a woman below and he descended a bit more in the balloon. And he said, excuse me, ma'am, can you help me? I promised a friend I would meet him an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. Where am I? The woman below said, you're in a hot air balloon. (laughs) Hovering approximately 30 feet above the ground. You're between 40 and 41 degrees north latitude and between 59 and 60 degrees west longitude. The guy in the balloon said, you must be an engineer. I am, she said, how'd you know? He said, well, everything you told me is technically correct. I have no idea what to do with what you've told me. And the fact is, I am still lost. Frankly, you have been no help to me thus far. So the lady on the ground responded to the guy in the balloon, you must be in management. (laughs) It gets better. He said, I am. The balloon said, I am in management. How did you know? Well, the woman said, you don't know where you are or where you're going. You have risen to where you are due to a large quantity of hot air. (laughs) Somebody made me do it. You made a promise which you have no idea how to keep, and you expect people beneath you to solve your problems. The fact is, you're in exactly the same position you were before we met, but now somehow it's my fault. (laughs) I love that. Where am I? (laughs) I was overseeing my mom. Uh, this week and uh, dropped in there and she was asking, it's funny, I, you know, I decided to speak on this topic long, you know, a uh, long time ago, where are, you know, where are you? And so uh, mom kept asking me, well, where am I? She kept, you know, that's the, the uh, beauty or the trauma related to dementia. And uh, she said, now, where am I? And I'd tell her, well, how long have I been here? I said, well, you've been, you've been here two years. Two years? I said, Where, am I in Oklahoma? I said, yeah, you're in Oklahoma City. How long, how long have I been here? Oh, about 13 years. 13 years? And then we'd talk about something else for about five minutes and we'd start all over again. Where am I? Turn in Genesis chapter two and three if you have a Bible or wanna pull it up on your device. It's a story that's familiar. You've heard it. Most of you have heard it. Uh, before. Some of you may not have heard it yet. And uh, for those who haven't, I'm so thrilled you're here uh, to allow me to uh, tell you the story. Starting in Genesis chapter 2, and I'll start reading at verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of, no- a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But there still was no helper just right for him, for Adam. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs 
closed up the opening, the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And the man exclaimed, Woo, there's something different here. At last, that's what the, the, uh, the New Living says, at last, the man exclaimed, like he was waiting on something. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh shall be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Let's go to chapter three, we'll keep reading. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made, and one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit, she says. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the one in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not even eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, the serpent says, you're not going, you won't die. You won't die. God knows your eyes are going to be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking up in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, to Adam, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid, I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it's her fault. (laughs) Typical. (laughs) Some things never change. It's her fault. It was the woman who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She was honest. The serpent deceived me and that's why I ate it. It's a great story. It's a great text. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It's a fascinating story. It's an interesting story. To me, it's a description of human nature. I think we've all probably found ourselves at times, there's something that appears to be good. What's the downside? Maybe we've been warned that that might not be a wise decision or it might not be what it would appear to be, so be careful. So the fruit of the tree was good, it kind of looked good, it was pleasing to the eye, seemed to be a a guarantee that that she would get wisdom and she would become wise if she took some, and she did. Gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. After eating the fruit of the tree, three things happen here. It's just human nature. This is typical stuff. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Immediately their eyes were opened. And suddenly they were seeing and comprehending and trying to understand a very different picture of life than they had just moments ago. They realized they were naked. That wasn't anything to even give thought to a few minutes ago. 
but now they're seeing more reality of what human life is going to be like. And they did the typical thing you would do in that scenario. Right at the very beginning, the first two people on the planet. This is where it comes from, folks. This is our DNA. They made coverings for themselves. They made coverings for themselves because they were naked. After eating the fruit of the tree, their eyes were opened, and it's this question of, why did I do that? And I think that's where I find myself, and you can find yourself in this story. Our eyes are open, all of a sudden we're going, that wasn't a wise decision. Or what I've just said really should not have been said. It was not necessary. Why did I do that? And it's interesting, the moment you realize that you've probably stepped over a line you shouldn't have or you wish you hadn't, all of a sudden you begin to think things through and then it's too late to have given thought to it. You should have given thought to it before you said it or did it, but this is what we do. We have the same thing they had. Immediately, they, they took the fruit they weren't supposed to eat and immediately there's guilt. Their eyes are opened. They realize they're naked, something's wrong now. What was okay a minute ago is now not okay. It's now a problem. There's, there's now guilt coming into play. It's the first guilty couple in the, in the world, the first guilty individuals. And so what do they do? They did exactly what we are still doing. They tried to cover it up, try to hide it. And sometimes it may not be we're trying to hide it from other people knowing. It may be we just like to cover it up and, and forget it ourselves. And try to just kind of blow it off and go, that's no big deal. But all of a sudden, their eyes are opened. They realize something's changed here. And anyone in a relationship with Father, the God of all gods, anyone lovingly following Jesus, the minute a poor choice is made, the minute something is said, the minute a thought is given space, we get that reality check. I'm thankful for that, it used to really bother me, but that's kind of how God kindly works in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we've invited Jesus Christ into our life. We don't have him personally, we don't, have him, we don't see him physically, but he left us his spirit when he said he, had, he was going to go away, but I will leave you my spirit. And he put his spirit within us when we ask God to to take ownership of our lives and we want to follow and be like his son Jesus who showed us the best way to live. And the spirit does that. You get this little check all of a sudden. This is how sin operates. Evil loves to tempt us, to frustrate us, to aggravate us, to catch us tired and angry. And boy, that is a disastrous time to make too many decisions, to fire off an email, to make a phone call. That is not the moment. And some of us have learned that the hard way. Because what will happen is in our moment of being aggravated or angry at ourselves, typically, it can only cause greater problems if suddenly we begin just to lash out at others. This is how sin works. It's how the conscience works. It's It's the benefit, I guess, of being human. An immediate guilt is triggered that something is most likely wrong and needs to be addressed. So this new discovery and awkwardness of Adam and Eve being naked, it's different. 
It's changed. They make coverings for themselves. And typically, our, our, our typical process, whether you, whether you name it or whether you've defined it or not, but for the typical process, when we realize we have something we're ashamed of, we wish had not been said or done, then we've got a couple of different options. We can hide it, try to just hide it and forget it. We can rationalize it. You know, that wasn't that bad. And that's really the start of danger. And then the next step gets worse. Then we can just go into denial. I didn't really, that wasn't that bad. It isn't a problem. It's no one's business anyway. And you rationalize it, which then throws you into full-blown denial, and then you're going to pursue solutions. Some who are wise at that point will say, I still probably ought to process this. We spent uh, Friday night and all day uh, yesterday in this wonderful uh, conference having a chance to think through some things in our relationships. And that needs to happen. I had the privilege of praying with several different people, several different men. And they, by and large, they would all be ashamed. There was something that they weren't getting right in the marriage and they really wanted to, but they would, in most cases, just go ahead and just admit to me, I'm the problem. They would say, I'm the problem. And we had the kinds of, and you know what that does for me, one of the things, one of my takeaways as, as pastor, uh, and as one of the pastors of this church, I'm just glad we have a church. This is what we prayed for. This is what we always wanted. That can be transparent and not let anybody think that they're in a room full of people who are perfect and have it all together. That just doesn't go anywhere. And I believe we, in this, I, I love that we can have Bible studies through the week that will take you places you don't even understand at first. That's why we have gifted teachers to take us places that are hard to understand, places in scripture that are fascinating, whether it's history or whether it's something about what God has done or what God has said, or, or the son, the, the father and the son and the spirit and the work in our lives and through the Bible. I'm glad we have all of that. I'm glad we can have what's going on around our, our, all of our locations in terms of the groups or the classes that are holding out help to people to say, look, we are all in this boat together. Wherever you've been, those of you far from God are running as far from it as you can. Those of you who don't even believe in God at this point, I'm glad you're at least giving us a chance to explain it, and then you can decide what you want to do with that. I love that about our church. Most of the time, the consequences of disobeying God are more painful. The consequences can sometimes be more painful than the actual mistake. And there's just always consequences. Adam and Eve have disobeyed. Their eyes have been opened. They know now what it means to be naked. They've covered up as best they could. Why? Here, here's why. This is important. Because now they're afraid of what they do know. Now they're afraid of what they do know. They ought to be afraid. That's a natural reaction. They're now dealing with emotions they can't name, fear, guilt. They've made covering for themselves, doing all they could to right the wrong they just experienced. They're experiencing guilt before they knew what it was. It was perfect timing God happened to be walking around the garden and the Lord God called to the man 
Where are you? Now, what we have to keep in mind, God knew where Adam and Eve were. He wasn't asking because he wasn't sure where they were. He needed Adam to own it. He needed Adam and Eve to own it, to admit it, to be honest about it. Because you see, the process of damage control, again, what do we do? We're either gonna hide or we're gonna blame. They made, you know, made some clothing so they wouldn't, they, their nakedness would not be exposed, and then they blame. And particularly Adam, was, he just kept blaming her. She gave, me the, she gave me the fruit. She made me do it. It's her fault. Typical guy. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I do love that next verse where Eve is just honest. She said, he tempted me with it and I did it. I ate it. But God knew where they were. Please understand that. And see, God knew where they, God knew where he was hiding and God knew why they were hiding. He knew why, understood it clearly why. Because see now, no longer righteous, no longer being righteous, they were trying to be content looking righteous. It's the, it's, it's the old trick. This is where it started for the first time. Most of us in the room have tried it. We kind of messed up, something's not going right, we're ashamed about something, we want to get this right, we apologize, we make amends. All those are good, good things, and those, those always can start great healing processes and whatever uh, has been uh, hurt. But it's the, it's the old game in, in, in religion, you know, when you don't really, you know you're not righteous or you know really deep inside who you are, we just don't want anybody at church to know about it. We don't want the community to see us the way we might be seeing ourselves. So we're trying to be content looking righteous. We're gonna look the part. We're gonna pretend to be something we're not. It's one of the greatest tactics of people who want to be seen as religious enough or believe just enough of God to be perceived as a good person. But don't ask me to serve, and please don't ask me to give any money. And I, I might give something if somebody knows about it. Anything to convince others I'm a good person, but the problem is that God knows who we really are. He knows our heart, he knows our motives, he knows our insecurities. He knows what we're running from, he knows when we're afraid, and he knows when we're afraid for others to know the truth. When in reality, again, as I was just saying, if you're in a true body of Christ, an authentic, loving family of people who we all understand that we too have at times run to hide, we too at times have had to face a truth that was hard for us to face. Can I just tell you that one of the greatest moments of your life will be when you're willing to admit that you need some help. That's why we have a counseling ministry. That's why we have care series and celebrate recovery. That's why we do those things. But you see, we need to never forget the body of Christ is a group of people who've all been where Adam and Eve, where it all started. We've all visited that garden. We've all eaten that fruit. And we've all responded in just the same way. Now, how do I deal with what I feel?
with the guilt that has come to me because of this. Allowing God's spirit to give you strength through the Bible, I believe that's where change comes. That's why I believe in good practical Bible study or whatever Bible study you need at wherever you are in your life. Some of you have studied the Bible and you know more about the Bible than I do. And I think that's wonderful. I hope to get there. But we all can be helpful. We can all share those moments. I, I love when I see it, and it happens all the time in this church. I, I wish I could, could just start reciting all the, all the things I've heard, the cards we get, when somebody just happened to be sitting in a certain row, and they happen to be going through something, and the person down the row says, I don't think we've met, and they, they introduce themselves, are you new to crossings, are you visiting today? And then, oh, oh no, I am just happen to be going through a really tough time. And then before you know it, they've shared, and they, they have to be, they happen to be, both have gone through this tough time, the same thing. That happens so much. Because God can put people together and God can put us in the body of Christ and invariably, we're gonna run into somebody. We're not gonna believe how much we have in common, even the good things or the painful things. So it is possible today to, to know God's asking you the question, where are you? And I think one question I would suggest you add to that is personalize it, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? It's kind of like the story of the prodigal son that ran as fast as he could, ended up in the pig pens, and he, but that phrase, I love this phrase, he came to his senses. That is a golden moment in life. None of us are excited to be in the pig pen that we get into sometimes, but there is a moment in whatever has gone on in life, whatever's troubled you, maybe not be anything to do with you personally, may have something to do with somebody you love, maybe your kids or, or grandkids or a friend or a family member, but that moment when, when somebody comes to their senses, I kind of like to be there when that happens. And occasionally we all probably get that privilege of being there when someone comes to their senses. So where are you? What are you doing there? A couple years ago, um, I found out that the memorial service for Arnold Palmer would be uh, televised or streamed. I guess it was streamed, maybe televised, I don't remember. And I've always thought this, this was a great man. He had a lot of class, good golfer, of course, and always handled himself well, winning or losing. And also found out that Vince Gill's gonna be singing at his funeral. They were friends. They were golfing buddies. And of course, Vince shows up with that go rest high on this mountain, you know. And he can't even get through it. It's hard to do that for a friend. But the grandson stepped up and told a story I've never forgotten. The grandson's name is, his last name is uh, Saunders. So the grandson, Sam Saunders, told a story. And anytime anybody in the family, frankly anybody, if anybody dialed Arnold Palmer's cell phone number, he would not say, hello. He'd pick up the phone and go, where are you? Didn't matter who it was. Where are you? It's the first thing he wants to know. Where are you? So the grandson, Sam, was saying that one day he called his grandfather 
And his grandfather does what he does. He picked up the phone, or Palma did, and he said, uh, where are you? And Saunders said, well, I'm at, I'm at home. Where are you? He said, well, I'm, I'm with the president. And Sam's grandson said, clarify what you mean by president. <laughs> are you with the president of the golf association? Are you with the president of... of... No, no, I, I, I'm with the president of the United States. I'm sitting here in the Oval Office. And Sam says to his grandfather, then why did you answer the phone? <laughs> and Arnold Palmer is what makes him such a wonderful man and grandfather in that moment. He said, I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you. Because you see, you're my grandson. And you might need something. I don't care who I'm with. I'm gonna find out where you are and if you're okay. I could not help but realize that story to me reminds me of our Father God who always has time for us when we'll run to him, who always will help heal wounds, help forgive, forget as best we can and move on, which is a great joy when you can do that. So what are you hiding? Or why are you, there's a lot of questions we can throw into this. Why would you be hiding? But what are you hiding? God comes looking for us, not because he can't find us or doesn't know where we are, but to remind us that even though he's disappointed, he is still there and he still cares. It's, Jeremiah said this in the Old Testament, I don't want you to forget this. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I want you to all say it with me. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And that is a truth of God you can cling to. He meant it when he said it, and he still does. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we'll invite our prayer teams, as we do every week, to come to the front of all the rooms. If you want to begin making your way there right now in all the rooms, that would be great. And uh, the prayer teams are a combination of staff and leaders in the church, people that have been in through our Stephen ministry or trained in certain places. These are people we trust. And they're not the only ones, but there's a lot of them. So they're going to be across the front of all the rooms to be able to pray for you. And maybe you need to pray for someone you love that's maybe hiding and you're looking for a way to see if God can use you to help them come out of hiding and be loved and forgiven. Or maybe you're gonna pray for someone that, that you love that's just in a tough trial. This week when, you looked at the, when I looked at the prayer list, the prayer requests that are submitted every week, boy, I tell you, there's some heavy stuff going on. Family that loses their 50-year-old daughter, three kids. The daughter leaves three kids. Just let us pray for you to remind you you're not alone. And as everybody's leaving the room, if there's something you need, maybe you just need someone to pray for you to accept the forgiveness that God offers. And maybe there's just someone in your life hurting or maybe you're hurting. Please let us pray for you. So after I pray, as people leave our rooms, you can come to the front and meet with a prayer team member. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the privilege of this place. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be together. We thank you, Father, for your unending love for us. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. And thank you for proving it over and over again through the Bible, through events of history, through Jesus' presence on this earth, through his spirit at work in our lives. Father, we thank you. We turn to you because we know you've invited us to do so. And you will always bring healing to us when we ask for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.